Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 177 and we're going to be interviewing Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing all right. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm uh, excited to do this with you. All right, right so let, let's rock and roll here. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. My childhood and growing up was, it was pretty good. Uh, the best thing I can say, or the easiest thing, or I had a good family. My parents were together. Uh, but anyway, sorry about that. Not easy talking about myself, especially my early years. It was good. I grew up in a Christian household, and they uh, and everything was good. We moved around a few times. Was it like a strict Christian household? Not real necessarily strict. Um, I was the youngest of four boys, and there was an age gap. The oldest is tw- twenty five or was twenty five years older than me. The next two were eight and nine years older than me, and then. I was eight years after that, so. Gotcha. And so it was, I, to a certain point, I ended up kind of being, as soon as the middle boys got out of high school, I was the only one uh, in the house, and I was almost like an only child. But uh, something that stood out and I'm dealing with in my recovery is, they uh is we moved around a lot and we ended up or moving into uh when i moved from or missouri to washington state the new school i was in i ended up being bullied a lot and that affected me later on in life people don't realize how hard that is i was bullied too yeah i i was bullied and then sometimes i bullied others yeah. I think I was taking out the aggression that I was feeling on others. Yep. What kind of stuff would they bully you about? <clears throat> um, in my early years, it was, I was just picked on because moving from what, and I didn't know I was even being picked on until years later. I never got it. But one thing that they bullied me about was going from Missouri to Washington State I had a bit of a southern accent and I didn't know they were picking on me the other thing was I got because we'd already owned the house that we moved back into because that's where I was born but then we moved away and my parents still owned the house and anyways the uh mom and dad had rented the house out to people well, they had, I guess, a kid that was the same age, and that kid being the same age, he would have been in my class, but 
I had there was a lot of animosity that and they pointed it toward me of I made the kid move. Why would they say that about you? <clears throat> I don't know. It's just they took it. Some of them took it out on me because I guess they were friends or whatnot. And they wanted they didn't like me because I moved anyways, getting older. Um, I in uh, middle school, I ended up gaining weight. And so, of course, I got picked on because, yeah, I was also quiet and reserved, but I gained weight. And, of course, kids pick, pick on the fat kid. I was a fat kid also. Can you think of any reason that you had gained the weight? Well, we went from because we moved oh, instead of we moved again um, out of the small city that we were in into a more rural area, still the same school district, but um, there was a little bit of a time that we were temporarily in a trailer park and I was went from the small city we lived in. It was a, uh, oh, it was, we had 14 acres in town. And I had roomed out running around. Well, we moved into, for a year and a half or so, we moved into a trailer park until we could get settled on our new piece of property. And anyways, nothing to do in a trailer park. And I couldn't get out and run around like I used to. And so I ended up gaining some weight uh, while they were in middle school and I held on to that weight until about my senior year and I shed it because I finally got a little bit more active. Yeah, I had, um, I attribute a lot of my weight gain to emotional eating because food was the one thing that was always there, you know, make you feel better a little bit. Yeah. Did you have the same experience? Um. I don't remember the emotional eating. It's just mom still fed us the same, whether we're, no matter where we're at. So. So just less activity, like you said. Yeah, less activity. Um, we had were you a, involved? Oh, I'm sorry, you go. No, go ahead. As I said, were you involved in any type of activities in school, like sports or any clubs or anything like that? Um, well, in grade school, I was in Little League Baseball, and then I tried – my seventh grade year, I tried for out for the football team, and I just didn't like playing football, and I didn't get into football, and then I didn't get into any more real school activities until my freshman year in high school when I joined uh, FFA and the ag program, and I got involved in that, but that was about it. I think I heard about this once. FFA is what type? It's like a farming school. Uh, it's it's a it's a school club, school organization. It's Future Farmers of America. Yes, um, that's which, a, yes, okay. Which concentrates uh, in the agri- uh, students in agriculture. And while I was in there, I I raised livestock to show at the. Uh, livestock show every year what kind of livestock i raised pigs did you enjoy it no yeah I, that was 
it was being with and that's what I eventually got a degree in was agriculture later on or here a few years ago so but I did did enjoy being with the animals so working with animals I love animals but I'm also not a vegetarian I can't imagine that would be so heartbreaking to me to work on a farm because you're raising these animals and developing relationships and eventually they're going to be food on your plate. Well, kind of grew up with that. I, we, we butchered animals off and on throughout the years for our own personal use. So yeah, we developed a relationship with it, but it was the norm. Never got too attached. I can imagine. Yeah. I can't get too attached. So overall, you enjoyed growing up on a farm. Yeah, I, for the most part, enjoyed growing up in the farm on the farm. Um, one of my older brothers also was into uh, rebuilding old cars, or uh, and he got into diesel school and whatnot. But one of his first projects, as sixteen years old, and I ended up helping with, was he rebuilt a. <clears throat> old first generation Ford Bronco, one of the old 67 to, uh, I think 76 was the body series. Oh, I didn't know they go back that far. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, and so he rebuilt it and I ended up helping out with that over the, as long as it took him to rebuild that. So. You enjoy that stuff? Yeah. I like so working with like my hands. Good, sounds like you had an okay childhood. It was okay for the most part. Um, one of the middle brothers, the older of the two, he was the not best kept family secret is the best way I could. Um, he was, he got into alcohol and he got into drugs early in his early years. And that once that set in with him, that, kind of did cause tension in the family so we had a codependent family because my dad was an alcoholic he was drug addict and alcoholic and there was no there was no hate in the family there was no it was just frustration because dad come home he'd drink but he was happy-go-lucky but he was absent in his alcoholism he was happy he was there but he just wasn't there at the same time because he was in his addiction is that a painful memory for you um it's kind of painful and that's when i started going through my men's process um because i lost i didn't get into recovery until both my parents passed away here a couple years ago and part of my amends process was uh, uh, I was able to write the letter to my mom. But when it came to writing a letter to my dad, I couldn't do it. But part of the reason why I couldn't do it was I was upset because my brothers got better years with him at that age when I needed my dad. But dad came home drunk and he was just emotionally not there when I needed my dad around because he came home drunk all the time 
but he wasn't mean. He wasn't angry. He wasn't. He's just there. Well, looking at the bright side of things, it looks like you got a an okay alcoholic act. It's just better than hearing the opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Never being home and beating up the children, beating up the wife. Here I hear a lot of those stories. Right. So do you think that had any influence on your drinking later in life? Um, it, yeah, it had impact between my brother that he, all my, or but all those boys were out, ended up being alcoholics to some really? extent. Um, with the one that was into alcohol and drugs, as much as I saw him in and out of jail and in trouble and whatnot, I, in my mind at that age, I accounted it to the drugs that why he was in trouble all the time. But dad and my other brother was drinking and I'm just like, well, excuse me, they just didn't. Um, so it didn't click that alcohol was just as bad as the drugs at that point. So that eventually got me to my, um, the, other thing one of my other addictions in that time is about 10 years old I found my oh not just dads but my brothers had everybody had a porn stash and I was exposed to that as a young age um a couple about the same time I had one of my first sexual experiences um and this is and it was with a couple boys that I knew and nothing bad is just one of them had found their dad's porn stash and they saw things that they wanted to try. And so that I had from about 10 years of age, I had access to porn all the time. And that's been a deep part of my addiction also. Pornography? Yeah, pornography. I mean, how do you think that affected you at that age? Um, because of already being bullied, um, pornography was my own fantasy world, basically. It was acceptance that um, I developed my own world of where I was accepted in my own imagination, so... Did it ever do any? Did it ever have any negative consequences as as far as distractions from your responsibilities or anything like that? Um, no, um, not that. Uh, not for porn itself. No, um, it, it was my outlet, and then it was also until I got in my alcoholism. It was when I had anxiety or issues because I've had anxiety issues for years and it was uh, it was a quick fix of watch some porn pleasure myself and I had got that instant fix of okay something that made me feel better yeah no I've been there because you're just seeking a release of dopamine that's what you're doing to your brain right is when you 
do your addictive behavior, it releases a flood of dopamine into the brain, which gives you the pleasure and the euphoria and all that fun stuff. So yeah, it's and that orgasm is that release of dopamine. Right. So it's definitely something people get addicted to, especially when they're stressed out. Right. So you you accredit this to having all the access to the pornography when you were young. Was there ever a time when you said that this is becoming a problem? Um, I guess it was later on in life, it was kind of addressed as being a little bit of an issue. Um, because after I graduated high school, a year after I graduated high school, I joined the military and I went off and joined the service. And then I met my first wife and then that it, the pornography did cause issues in our relationship at certain points. So that didn't, being married and having access to sex didn't deter you? Um, not really. <clears throat> Why do you think that is? Um, probably because I didn't know how to, instead of dealing with the bullying and the rejection or, and with those early years of being bullied is something that I still deal with today is, uh, self-worth had issues with self-worth and getting that dopamine fix helped me with my self-worth. Or for a momentary release, anyways. And you also mentioned you had alcohol issues. Yeah. Um, what age did that start? I it wasn't too much afterwards. That I ended up having, or too long afterwards, that I first was introduced to pornography. One of the neighbor kids, he had access to alcohol, and I. Never drink to get drunk, but I did like the found out I liked the flavor of it. And oh, then, you do? That's very rare. I hate. I'm an alcoholic, and I hated the taste of alcohol. I love the taste. My my alcohol of choice is whiskey, and I love the flavor of whiskey. And anyways, it wasn't until my junior year in high school we had a junior party and one of my brothers of course enabled me and he bought me a 12 pack of beer to go to the junior party um that was the first time I got drunk but that was kind of few and far in between till after I got in the service and then I could do it more often but I was up until then I was still just a relatively a social drinker until basically after my divorce and that's when my depression and anxiety really started kicking in and I started going to the bar bar more often where before that I'd like I say a social drink uh paydays go out with a couple of guys from work or whatnot and 
that weekend and then I was good for the next couple of weeks until the next payday. So what age did you get married? Uh uh what age did I get married? Yeah. Um I was twenty one, twenty two years old when I got married. So you were a young man. Yeah. And by this time you were already addicted to pornography and alcohol. Um, not so much alcohol yet, but it wasn't until after the for- divorce and I enjoyed How old that were you when you got divorced. Uh let's see. Got married in two thousand, divorced in two thousand four. Okay. So I was twenty four, twenty five when I got divorced and uh one of and part of it was or part of my reasoning thinking back was I needed to get out and be social instead of stuck at home alone in my apartment at that point in time and well the social spot for anybody or at least common spot for anybody I knew was going to the bar So this was, I mean, I used to find that a benefit or I, like the one thing I say is the only good thing that ever happened to me from smoking weed and drinking was I did f- form a lot of relationships with people I would never usually talk to. Yeah. But if, I guess when you're going out for a social drink and you continually do it, that becomes a problem. Right. Uh, it wasn't until... Because and then right after divorce, I had it in that period of time. I've been separated and divorce happened, and I was dating another girl. She had a couple kids, and anyways, at one point in time, in the that relationship, she let her kids go see her their dad, and the kids never came back because the dad went and um, filed a false police report saying that I was raping and molesting their kid. And then I went through that whole investigation. Who was this to you? What? Who was that? that? It was a girl that I was dating right after my divorce. And But who was the one who called in the police? You said it was a him. It was her her kid's dad. Her, her children's father. Yeah. Of a girl you were seeing. Yeah. Okay. And he filed a, like I said, he filed, filed a false police report. And anyways, I had to, that investigation last well over a year and finally child services. I ended up getting a letter in one, one day in the mail from child services saying that, hey, we have nothing to justify these claims. So. So they dropped the charges and everything. What's that? So they dropped the charges and everything. Oh, there there were no charges filed that I knew of. Um, I was never arrested. I was never, but like I said, there was an investigation that lasted over a year. And that was stressful. And in all that time also, 
I dealt with uh, being in the military, something, and it's one of the roles in the military. Technically, per military law, you're not supposed to be in debt while you're in service. And after the divorce, all the bill, the judge gave me all the bills and all the bills started piling up at once and I couldn't. couldn't keep up because of having to pay child support and everything else like that. And my creditors would start sending letters to my command and my command in the military is obligated to file charges. And so I went to, instead of court-martial, they have a thing called cabin's mass, which is a non-judicial punishment and I got in trouble for being in debt. And then also within that year, um, I went and ran my semi-annual physical readiness test. We do that twice a year, push-up, sit-ups, and a mile-and-a-half run. And I ran my run, and right after I got back, my heart started doing weird things. It wasn't having a heart attack, but things weren't right. And the day before Thanksgiving 2004, I was di- diagnosed with uh, what was called supraventricular tachycardia and preventricular contractions, which leading up or the, with the divorce, um, being in, under investigation, get in trouble with my command and then diagnosed with a heart condition. I went to Thanksgiving that Thanksgiving. I went to Thanksgiving with a friend uh, with, and her parents had a timeshare at a condo resort somewhere in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts. I was stationed in Maine at the time. So we went down there to hang out with her parents. I got that news Wednesday night with my heart condition. Then I spent Thanksgiving with them, and then they, uh, my friend and I eventually drove back up to Maine on Saturday morning, and then Saturday night, we're just like, hey, everybody's in the barracks, and I'm hanging out with the guys in the barracks, and I brought back this huge bottle of wine with me that parents gave us. And I sat there and I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know what was going on, but there was something in my body that clicked that night that I started drinking and I basically finished that bottle of wine. And I'd never done anything like that before. And I was puking sick all night long. Uh, One of the guys gave me a ride back to my apartment and the next morning, I woke up suicidal. Everything came crashing down on me, lost my wife, the stress of that investigation, stress of getting trouble at work. And then I had a heart condition that can be can be fatal if not controlled. And it just piled on to me and I broke up or woke up that Sunday morning suicidal. I held it together, got to work the next day, called um, 
the family service center on base, talked to a counselor that I'd been seeing since the divorce off and on. And anyways, I got in to see her. I held it together, got in to see her. And once uh, the moment I walked in her door that day, she looked at me and read me look at, like a book. She's just like, you want to tell me what's going on? Because I can see it. And she's just like, are you safe? Or I forget her exact words, but, and I just broke down crying and I'm just like, yeah, I wanted to, did want to end my life at that point in time. And then the next, oh, the bit, from that point on, off and on for the next three, four months, I was hospitalized for a better part of that time, just trying to get my head straight. And that was my first real experience with alcoholism and depression mixed in. So, and then my journey with alcohol just continued there. And I was definitely in denial after that because I'm just like, I don't have a, I, I, if I went into my annual checkup or whatnot with the doctors or whatnot, not just some, Oh, are you drinking alcohol? I'm just like, nah, a couple beers here and there. Mm. Well, it was more than that. Um, eventually getting down the road, it was still a problem. I would frequent the bars more, more puking nights, not a, the more I drank, the less they happened just because I was attuning my body to the alcohol. But um, anyways, I still hadn't recovered. And then 2007, because uh, I was still dealing with anxiety and depression, I was medically discharged and then kind of just shuffled right on, quietly shuffled on out of the, the military. Uh, I was given a medical retirement and it, and that just added to, because the military didn't even want me anymore. And that added to my anxiety and depression. And then I just kind of floated through life. I got into some college in 2008, um, 2008, got my first DUI and then I went, just kept on going. Um, while in college, I had a bar three blocks from my apartment. And I ended up, I was at the bar almost every night of the week, as long as I could afford it. Um, and that kind of just continued on from there. Um, in 2009, mom and dad decided or they were moving to Missouri, where I am now. This was back in Washington State. And they decided that it was time to retire and they wanted to move to a place that was a easier cost of living. And I had no ties yet because I'm still fresh out of the service. And I followed them out here. <coughs> um, mom's originally from Missouri. And so that's why we ended up out here. And there's family out here and whatnot. 
and I was still in denial. I was still had issues with alcohol. Um, it just was a bad, it was bad and I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't realize, um, in AA, uh, it says alcohol is cuffling or cunning, baffling and powerful. And that's exactly what it was. It was cunning, baffling and powerful. And it had me duped really good. Um, I was living in Joplin at the time, got my second DUI. Um, then, uh, I ended up moving out to, and I was living a couple hours from mom and dad in 2014. I moved, mom and dad need some help. So I moved closer to them, uh, bought a, got a house, moved closer to them and Anyways, they, uh, uh, that was 2014 and then 2000 into 2015, my brother that had drug problems, he overdosed with cocaine with a needle on his arm. Still, he died with a needle still on his arm. Um, that following June, right around his birthday, I got my third DUI. Um, still haven't learning. And then 2017 mom passed, went in the hospital for a month and didn't leave the hospital. She passed away in the hospital. And 10 months later, dad was about an auto accident and he didn't survive his injuries. My brother and I ended up having to pull a plug on dad. And then during, while dad was in the hospital with that, the oldest brother had gone in the hospital and with severe pneumonia and he died a month to the day after dad died. Thank God so, you dealt with a lot of loss. Yeah. And so alcohol was just hitting me more and more. Um, and then after dad died and the oldest brother died, I just continued to that downward spiral and I ended up, I was drinking, I finally was able in some clarity and early in my sobriety figured out that I was drinking up to two gallons of whiskey a day. I was killing, literally killing myself drink by drink. And, and dad passed away January of 18. December of 18, I got my fourth DUI and I found, oh, spent a couple of days in jail, got out of jail and got home. And I'm just like, something's got to change. I don't know what, but something's got to change. I got on the phone with the VA clinic here, local to me. And I'm just like, hey, who do I talk to about? I've got issues with alcohol. And after a couple transferring from person to person, they got me in contact with the, uh, it's called the Leroy Pond Center, Leroy Pond Center in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is a treatment, a VA treatment facility. And they got me into, or they 
eventually got me scheduled into doing their 28 day treatment. And of course, at that same time, dealing with my legal issues and whatnot. Um, but they got me scheduled in January 3rd, 2019. And January 1st was until the early mornings of January 2nd was the last time I drank alcohol. And I haven't had alcohol since. I did the 28-day program there in Fayetteville. And one of the biggest things, because I've dealt with suicide and whatnot, one of the biggest things that impacted me that I heard while I was down there was they somebody it's one of their sayings that they like to use is whatever your addiction is it's her and for me my alcohol was an installment plan or suicide on the installment plan and i'm just like that just sunk in hard on this like already dealing with suicide and it I was killing myself one drink at a time on the installment plan. And it was a matter of time before I killed myself drinking. So what did you do to get yourself better? Well, I did the 28 day program in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, I, apologize. I should, I should rephrase the question. How did you, <laughs> how did you continue to stay sober? Well, while I, oh, and like I was saying, I did that 20 day program in Fayetteville and part of their, part of their whole focus of their 28 day program is uh, they push the 12 steps, whether it be NAAA, Celebrate Recovery, um, 12 step programs, and they go over the principles they go over the steps and they focus on the first four steps of alcoholics anonymous um and that introduced me and they encouraged me before i got out for aftercare to be hooked up with somebody that could be possibly my sponsor whether it be aa or na and go from there um, I knew somebody, actually, I had a connection to Alcoholics Anonymous in my area as I was getting out of treatment, and I called them. I'm just like, hey, do you know some and a female friend of mine? And I'm just like, hey, do you know anybody that would be my sponsor? I need a sponsor when I get out of here and get back so I can get in the AA and whatnot. And shoot, it was an hour later, I had two different guys texting me. Just like, hey, let us know when you're back and we'll talk to you. That's great. And so I've been, I poured myself into, because I went to treatment with an open mind. I didn't know what to expect, but it had to be better than what I was, the chaos. Everything, everything was unmanageable. And I'm just like, I poured myself into AA and then right after I got back and into AA, I also found Celebrate Recovery, 
because church had been a big part of my background as growing up and I'm just like and that's where I eventually made my connection was with AA and Seahawks celebrate recovery um it was easy to find my higher power and that was Jesus Christ for me and uh in one passage that here just over a year ago that I in the AA's big book page 85 and this is just a paraphrase but uh my daily sobriety is contingent on the maintenance my maintenance of my spiritual condition and that just absolutely stuck with me and I held on to that because if I'm not maintaining my spiritual condition I don't get this daily reprieve from my addiction so that's something that seems rather important to you making sure this is keeping yourself spiritually healthy yes so getting towards the end here let me ask you a question as far as spiritual fulfillment do you have any suggestions for people as far as what they can do whether it be religious or even not religious find something that works for you um if you you have to maintain your spiritual condition because um in the 12 steps it's you've got to give it to your higher power because it was my higher power that helped me recover uh find out what your higher power is because if it weren't for my and giving it up because my life was centered around being in control i once i figured out that i was not in control of anything except for how i act and react to things it made things a lot simpler and putting it in god's hands was what i needed to do to just get there it's still a struggle today i'm over three and a half years sober um some of the issues are still by it still gives me a peace of mind to know that God, God's in control and, and I'm not, I don't have any control over anything, but what I can do myself. Okay. So I got one last question for you. Yep. Kind of somewhat you answered a little bit of it, but what advice do you have from people watching, listening to get sober and stay sober? um get a sponsor get a good people get get a good support group have a list of phone numbers that you have available to you that um people that you can call when you're not doing well that you're thinking about alcohol or your drug of choice or whatever it is even porn have somebody you can call and talk to and get a and get a sponsor that will hold you accountable all right 
let's wrap this up. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Say, how do you feel? Uh, you know what? It, this is kind of my second phone. No. Uh, third time talking about my testimony. Um, this is first time on a podcast talking about my own. I kind of touch on my own personal stuff here and there, but um, it's back to working the 12 steps and even th that fifth step of confessing to yourself to God and someone you trust. Confession is, is healing in itself. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, actually, I forgot. There's one last thing that we should talk about. You're yep. starting a podcast, right? Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about that. <clears throat> well, <laughs> it's called my podcast that I'm working on. Um, I'm five episodes in. It's called Coffee Recovery and Theology. And where here a couple months ago, I thought about starting a podcast, but I didn't know where to go and whatnot. Um, the church I'm associated with, we had a association of evangelism conference a couple months ago, or a month or so ago. And anyways, something that was uh, was pushed was using our tools to reach those that need to be reached that haven't been reached yet um and i then after that week after that it occurred to me i'm just like the internet and podcasting is one of those tools that can be used to not only evangelize but even because i also work with a couple um i'm in leadership now in my celebrate your recovery ministry i also teach sunday school and I'm also involved in, it's called Mountain Moving Ministries, which is a recovery house here locally. And I work with mentoring these men that are just coming out of their addictions. And anyways, uh, I've got a couple of those guys for testimonial. There's also a guy that I got is one of the episodes that he just went on mission to Sanford, Florida to he has uh, shared his testimony and he's going there sanford florida to plan a recovery ministry in sanford florida part of what's called three-way ministries and it's just another ministry another i don't care like i said i don't care who what you choose for your higher power but for those that have a background like mine that uh christianity is a possibility um it's just another avenue another way of hearing people's stories um i do do a, a biblical lesson now and then and i have more things and just see how to highlight the higher power into recovery and then of course where coffee fits in is Every AA meeting, every NA meeting, every CR meeting I've been into, there's always a pot of coffee and everybody's got a cup of coffee and everybody's talking over a cup of coffee. Yeah. And so that's where coffee hits in. So one last time, what's the name of this podcast? Coffee Recovery and Theology.
All right, coffee recovery theology. That's great. Yeah, yeah coffee and recovery, or coffee cup recovery and theology. But yeah, that's I'm pretty ha- excited about doing it. Yeah, sounds like you're into it. Sounds like you got a little excited talking about it. I'm happy for you. I yeah. wish you the I wish you the best of luck. I truly do. Yeah. All right, so let's wrap it up here. Sit tight for me, Jesse. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. So sit tight for a minute. And for everybody watching, listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below, give us a like and subscribe. Also, you can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, pretty much on every single social media platform. I also suggest taking a look at our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of resources as well as free literature from our approved library. And the last thing, in the next maybe month or two, I'm just wrapping everything up with my publisher, Addicts Anonymous, will be having its own book coming out titled Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. And it's going to be a very great book. I'm hoping to really touch some people with it and help the community. So I'll keep you posted when that gets released. And that's all I have for today. So I hope you enjoyed what you saw and heard. And until next time.